One question seems to be on everybody's mind. It's, am I okay? Usually some experience causes the wonder, maybe bad thoughts, bad dreams, or bad habits. But do bad things mean that you are bad? No. But don't just take my word for it. Let's explore the truth behind why I can say it. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down those lies and struggles that are keeping you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live sometime Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. By the way, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button if you haven't yet. That'll keep you in the know of our latest show. Okay, I get a lot of messages through email, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, a few letters in the mail even. Besides the occasional nasty gram by a scoffer or a legalist or someone who can't take a joke, the bulk of the messages come down to one question. Am I okay? And almost always, that question or notion is caused by some kind of experience or struggle or vice. Some people have bad habits, others have bad dreams, others have bad thoughts, something bad. Some fear that they've committed a sin that can't be forgiven, some fear that they are a sin that can't be forgiven. On and on and on and on and on. Doesn't matter the issue. Most people who write me do so with an insecurity or fear that the presence of this issue or what they think is an issue might mean that something is wrong with them. Now, by the end of this message, I'm going to address some of those specific issues, by the way, like the bad dreams, the bad thoughts, the bad habits. But the idea that something is wrong with you is the quintessential definition of shame. And shame is the belief that you are wrong, like at your core, like your identity, your very self is wrong. Not just that you did something wrong. That's guilt. Shame is the belief that you are wrong. And it's always destructive. It's never good. Shame is what caused Adam and Eve to hide from God just after they sinned for the first time. God didn't want that for them. He actually gave them a covering to get them out of shame. But it keeps us hiding too. It forces people into the dark where nothing good happens. And the cycle of toxicity just perpetuates. Round and around it goes. Now, on that point, I learned something interesting this week, which I guess I should have known. But it was fascinating to hear because it was proven in a study. You see, I'm friends with somebody who used to run an organization for struggling people, I guess is what you could say. At least they thought they were struggling. And somehow, and I didn't get into how, he didn't get into how, but somehow their organization did a study where they observed people who felt bad about themselves because of this struggle. And it may have been that their upbringing or whatever told them that this is bad, and so therefore they had shame about it. Well, then the study also observed people who were not told that this thing was wrong about them. 
so they didn't have shame. And what the study found is that just about every case, those who felt bad about themselves, those who harbored shame, acted out in the most toxic ways. Shame breeds toxicity. It takes people underground. It causes them to hide. Nothing good happens in the dark. Like I said, shame caused Adam and Eve to hide from God. Hasn't gotten any better. People turn to bad stuff because of it, because of the belief that something is wrong with them. That's why so much of this ministry is based on helping people overcome shame. I've seen it in my life. When you get the right view of who you are, many of the issues in your life tend to work themselves out over time without much effort. They just do. Some issues work themselves out because people don't feel the need to have to hide anymore, and therefore they don't feel the need to have to run to things to escape the pain or the shame, like a person or a drug or a substance, whatever. But other issues work themselves out because people realize what they thought was an issue really isn't. Some of what they were told is an issue or maybe even a sin really isn't. For example, I heard of a woman who was told by her church that women could only wear pink or white fingernail polish. Well, she got tremendously free when she learned that the color of your fingernail polish isn't an issue. It isn't a sin to wear blue. It certainly doesn't affect anything when it comes to relationship with God. Jesus came and died to end shame. He came to make you right. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Obviously, being right, being made right, is the opposite of being wrong. And that's what the cross made possible for you. Being made right is what Paul said happened with your belief. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about these verses and others like them. We're going to go through a handful of them. So get your Bibles out or take some notes. going to show you a consistent theme throughout this. But let me say this loud and clear, right here at the beginning of this message. I'm going to answer all my emails and messages in a single statement here. This is my reply all. My fellow Christian, there is nothing wrong with you. Despite your memories, despite your symptoms, despite your dreams, despite your thoughts, despite your attitudes, despite your actions, despite your failures, despite your fears, despite your feelings. There's nothing wrong with you. Now let's talk about that. Let's talk about why I can say that. Because I know it goes against some religious notions, and I'm probably stirring up some religious devils by saying that. Many people have been taught all of their lives that they can't feel right unless they feel wrong. So how can I say that there's nothing wrong with you despite the things in your life that seem, appear, 
very wrong and might even go against a scripture or two or six. Well, first, we need to talk about what is you. I'm using bad grammar for a reason. You see, there is more to you than what meets the eye, than what you see. In fact, the things you see with your eyes actually don't make you you. And according to the Bible, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Three parts right there that are mentioned. Spirit, soul, and body. If you were to look in the Greek language that Paul wrote this in, you'd find that spirit is the Greek word pneuma, soul is psyche, body is soma which is another word for flesh, or literally carcass. Well, your spirit is what's eternal. It's the you that will live forever. Your soul or your psyche is the part of you that thinks and communicates and worries and overanalyzes. It's influenced by a lot of factors, part God-given design, part fallen world, nature and nurture. Then there's your body, which is obvious, right? It's made up of your physical features, your organs. But there's only one part of you, one part of those three, that the Bible says is the real you. Colossians 3.3 says your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Is your body hidden in Christ with God? No, it's right here, I hope. Otherwise, you've got other issues. Is your psyche hidden with Christ in God? I've seen some of your attitudes. That's a big no. Your spirit is what's hidden with Christ in God. Your spirit is the real you. On this earth, your spirit is protected and housed in a body. On this earth, your spirit communicates with yourself and others through your soul or psyche. But after this earth, your spirit is the real you that lives on for eternity. You are an eternal being already in spirit. That part of you doesn't die. It lives on. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 35, Paul likens what happens to us to what happens to a seed. He illustrates how a seed is planted in the ground and is essentially crushed and dies before something entirely new sprouts from it. In verse 42, he says that it's the same way with us. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Verse 44, they are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. In other words, through your death here on earth, the flesh dies, but your spirit continues. So for now, understand, you are not your symptoms, you are not your dreams, you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings. The real you is your spirit, which Jesus said is born again when someone believes in him. Paul put it another way. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 
Now, there's where people get hung up and confused. It's where I got hung up for years because I confused this new life, this new me, to include my flesh. And while, yes, some things do get better in your flesh upon your salvation, there are plenty of testimonies of things like that. Not everything about your flesh is made new and perfected, though. Not everything about your memories and thoughts are made new. That's why the Bible says that we must still renew our minds. For years, I was insecure about my position with God because I felt that bad thoughts or bad feelings or bad things, whatever, meant that I was a bad person. I feared that maybe I wasn't really saved because things in me hadn't changed. When the truth is, being born again or being made new, whatever you call it, it really doesn't have anything to do with your flesh or your psyche. It has to do with your spirit, which is the real you. Are you with me? This isn't about God just deciding to see you as new. As if the real, dirty, ugly, sinful you still exists. This isn't about some covering that you could maybe slip out of deliberately or intentionally or accidentally. No. This is about an actual and absolute transformation, a metamorphosis, like caterpillar to butterfly. It's a regeneration. That's the theological word for old into new. As I say so often, the first six letters of that word regeneration spells regene, and that's what happens. It's a DNA change, a genetic change. It's the real you being made new, made right, made whole, and made holy in Christ. Now, let me take you through a few verses so that you don't think I'm just making this up. And we're going to go one by one by one through a few of them here, like I said, because you're going to see a consistent theme. This isn't just opinion or building a whole doctrine out of one verse. This is like the theme of the gospel. In Acts 13, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Antioch. He tells them that we are here to bring you the good news. And in verse 39, he spells out what that good news is. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. He said it again to the Romans. I mentioned this verse earlier. Chapter 3, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Again, verse 25, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Again, verse 28, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Made right are the key words in all of those verses. Now, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5.21 already, but it's worth repeating. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right. Other versions say so that we could become the righteousness of God. Same thing. Whether it's made right or become, it means the same. Our rightness is not something that's only symbolic, but it's actual. You aren't covered in rightness. You aren't only seen as right, but you are right. And here's what the real right you looks like 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right 
with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I like how the King James Version actually puts it because it correctly translates the verb there to are. Because it's an aorist verb. I talk about that in my Shut Up Devil book. Meaning you are cleansed. You are made holy. You are made right. It's a verb that's past, present, and future. How? By calling on the name of Jesus. Now, a few months ago, somebody heard me quote that verse, and they asked me, so are you still pursuing cleansing? I said, no, no, I'm not. God doesn't ask me to perfect myself through some kind of performance. He's not still refining me with fire or pruning me through tests and trials. That's because I am clean. I am holy. I am right. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am so many good things that are all the product of God's grace, not my grit. There's nothing wrong with me, and there's nothing wrong with you. Not the real you. What about those feelings? What about those thoughts? What about those dreams? What about those addictions? Well, you need to know that they might be in you, they might be on you, they might influence you, but they are not you. All those things get shed when the flesh dies and disintegrates in the ground. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about them. He does because he cares about everything about you. And he'll help you with those things, yes, in his time and in his way, not yours. But you can't wait until everything is gone or fixed before you consider yourself okay. You see, that's at the heart of most of the messages and questions I receive. People base whether they are are okay on whether or not their flesh or psyche is okay. That's the wrong measuring stick. That's what the devil wants. That's what the devil does. I wrote an entire chapter about it in my book, Shut Up Devil. He brings up your symptoms and your struggles and your feelings and your fears and your failures and your thoughts, all the fleshy stuff that, yes, does exist in your life, and he interprets them for you. He says, this is what this or that means about you. And it's always something like, you aren't really saved, or God can't love you, or God can't use you. Something always that's just pitiful and condemning. Listen, God doesn't base your rightness on the condition of your flesh. He bases your rightness on your belief in the condition of Jesus and your union with Jesus that results from your belief, which is called salvation. The Apostle Paul had weaknesses. We know this for one because he was human, but also because he said so. In 2 Corinthians 12, 5, he says, I'll boast in my weaknesses, plural, more than one. A few verses later, he acknowledged a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. Scholars debate it. We know that it wasn't from God, though. Paul said it was something sent from the devil. And that could be some sort of persecution. It could be a headache. It could be a bad attitude. It could be a mother-in-law. Except Paul didn't have a mother-in-law. But anyway, I think Paul intentionally made it ambiguous so that each of us could relate in some way, because we all have some thorn in the flesh. Paul says he asked God to take it away, but God never did. 
That didn't keep Paul from believing that he was right with God or complete in Christ because five to seven years later, when he was writing to the Colossians, he said, so you are also, we are also complete through our union with Christ. That's Colossians 2.10. And he wrote that while he was in prison, by the way. So do you see, Paul's completion wasn't based on his condition. It had nothing to do with his flesh. A couple years after that, Paul wrote to his sidekick, his protege, Timothy. In his first letter to Timothy, he advises Timothy to drink a little wine because his stomach is sick so often. It's believed that Timothy had a stomach ulcer. Well, given Timothy's condition, Paul didn't change his theology of completeness in Christ or being right in Christ. He didn't say, be healed, then you will be complete. Yes, Paul gave some practical advice for how to get better, but his good advice didn't change the good news that Timothy was totally clean and right with God despite his flesh, despite his condition. Now, of course, God desires healing for you. I believe that. The Apostle John prayed that people would be as healthy in their body as they were strong in spirit. Because God cares for every aspect of you, he desires physical and emotional healing, but he doesn't require it. And the reason I say that is because there's a temptation in certain circles to turn healing or deliverance or any kind of fixing the flesh into a law. And the sad result of that then is that there are so many people who for no fault of their own, for whatever reason, aren't changing in some way. Their flesh may not be getting better in some way or as they expected it or whatever. And so they feel that something is wrong with them. They feel that if they aren't healed or delivered of something, that they are wrong. Like I said, I believe God desires it, but he doesn't require it. Your righteousness doesn't depend on anything to do with your flesh. I get a lot of messages about bad thoughts, as I said. Usually people want to know how to get rid of them. Good question. They often want to know how much they should fast or how many friends should pray for them and for how long or how many jumping jacks they should do before these thoughts will leave. Sometimes they've already gone to three or four different deliverance ministries and they're wondering if a different one might do the trick. And I say no. The real issue isn't the existence of bad thoughts. The issue is, do you believe the thoughts? Same with bad dreams. The issue isn't the fact that you have bad dreams. Do you believe the dreams? That's the issue. What are you doing with them? Are you letting them convince you that this is who you are or this is who you aren't? You're a human living in a fallen world. Your flesh and your environment are never going to be perfect. Even if you fix one thing, you'll find another thing to fix, and you'll be chasing your tail until you get to heaven to realize that your real self, your spirit, was good all along. So rather than running here and there, applying this fix and attempting that strategy on a flesh that's going to decay someday, it would be better. I'd rather you just keep on confessing the truth about the real you. God will do what God will do in the process of that. 
but you keep confessing the truth about the real you. I am forgiven. I am clean. I am righteous. God is good, and I am good with God. Besides, in time, that trickles down to positively affect your flesh anyway. I mean, when it comes to behavior and holy living, that's what the Apostle Paul said every single time. To the Romans, he said, clothe yourself with Christ. To the Ephesians, in dealing with vices and lust and things like that, he said, put on your new nature. Clothe and put on. They're the same Greek word, in duo, which basically means to identify with your new identity. Believe. Believe right. Take it as your own. Because it is your own. The Apostle John said it, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Hear that for yourself, believer. As Jesus is, so are you in this world, and so are you in the next world. So are you, period. When it comes to the real you, all is well. You are okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You are made new, made right, made whole, made holy. You are God's masterpiece. Now, you know, I wrote my book, Shut Up Devil, for and because of everything I talked about in this message. It's the devil, the accuser. I reveal his name is slanderer in here. Well, it's he who tries to get you to believe that you aren't okay. He's the one that's behind it all, ultimately. As I often say, if he can't keep you from being saved, he wants to keep you from living saved. And living saved is all about living in the joy of your salvation, which is knowing that God is good and you were good with God. Well, to keep you feeling like something's wrong with you, he uses lies disguised as truth. Things that seem very real in your life that he interprets in a negative way. That then turns into negative emotions and negative actions and negative habits. You don't need a deliverance minister to cast those out of you. All you need is truth. As Jesus said, the truth sets you free. So in Shut Up Devil, I expose the top 10 lies the enemy uses against you, and I give you the strategic truth that you need to know to shut down those lies and the battles that come from them. So Shut Up Devil is available wherever books are sold. You can get it in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. But I'd love to send you a signed paperback copy. To get yours, just go to kylewinkler.org shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and all over social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.